0: Bibles to Proverbs chapter 29. Let's see, I believe we got down to verse 17 or 18, or yeah, down through 17 last week. So we pick up in verse 18. I remember a comment I made last week about uh, this being uh, one of those verses that that are so misunderstood, so we're going to talk about it. Notice verse eighteen where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he now you know let me let me say this first vision is important in life, and uh we think about having a, you know, a statement of purpose and uh, a mission statement. Some of you remember we had uh, what we called a vision conference. I don't know, four or five years in a row, I think it was, uh, down at Quantum Lakes, and we'd go there and rent that place and and had a great time. I always enjoyed that. So vision is important, but and and I, I've heard preachers even take this verse and apply it to uh, having a vision for what you know we want to see God do, or vision you know for what, what we want to accomplish, and uh, but really that's not the true meaning of the verse, and we don't want to make that mistake. This word vision here has to do with the revelation from God. Uh, It's the revelation of God's will. Remember back during the Old Testament, the prophets were given visions, dreams. These were divine revelations that God gave to them to transmit to the people. And uh, if God withheld those revelations, you know, uh, or if they failed to be communicated, let's say, to the people, even though the prophet might have Received it if he didn't communicate it to the people, uh, or if the people didn't heed the vision that was given, uh, you know, they're going to be without any directives from the Lord and ultimately suffer as a result of that. And let me tell you, the greatest calamity that can befall any nation is to be deprived of the truth. Amen. Nothing worse could happen. You see, I. I I think about what's going on in England today in church, and this has been going on for at least a decade or more. Uh, Church after church after church, and I'm talking about the true churches, you know, at least those that preach the gospel, are closing. It's it's unbelievable what's happening there Uh, and and basically throughout Europe. And uh, it can happen anywhere, whenever whenever a people are deprived of the, of the revelation from God. And uh, it would be wonderful if we could just convince everybody of how desperately they need the truth. And a lot of people, you know, they, they think they can get along just fine without it. But let me tell you, without a clear revelation from God, people don't stand a chance. They don't. And uh, you know whether that revelation came in the Old Testament by way of the vision that God gave to a prophet, or whether it's today where we get our we get our vision as it were from the Word of God. That's the way He reveals His will to us. And there are no substitutes for the truth. Uh, I, I mean, nothing can take its place. Education can't. Uh, you know, we keep trying to figure out. The other day, whenever I was preaching about uh, about uh, the the questions that the world asks, you know, and where, where where did I come from? Why am I here? What's wrong? You know, uh, and, and I think the fourth fourth question was, how do we fix it? You know, and people come up with all different kinds of ideas of how we can. Uh, how we can get society on a what seems to be a right track, at least make it a fit place to live, and so somebody jumps up and says, "I vote for education." Everybody jumps on that bandwagon, and and so we think we can educate uh, ourself, you know, into uh, into a utopia on earth, but it never has worked. Somebody else says politics is the way to go, so we try to legislate morality and what have you, but that doesn't change people, because they have to be changed from the inside out. Even sincerity is not enough if you don't know the truth, and so unless our path is illuminated by God's Word, we're going going to walk in darkness. When I was a boy, and I say when I was a boy, I mean this was all the time up until I was 20 years old, uh, one of the things I love to do was to go in caves. Uh, something about going in a cave, exploring, uh, and in a lot of caves in Missouri, by the way, up there in the Ozarks. But ha- have you ever, have you ever tried to walk in the dark in an unfamiliar place? Now, you know, at home you can turn out all of the lights. You know where the, you know where the dresser is. You know where the where the bed is, and you, you can just walk around and get around. I'm talking about in an unfamiliar place, dark. Eventually, you're headed for a hurt. It's just uh, you're you're going to fall, or you're going to bump into something, and uh, so that's the way it is in trying to live in this world without the light of God's word. And so that's why he's saying, where there's no vision, the people perish. Now. Let me let me try to illustrate what I mean because I I don't want you to think that I just because uh, you might have heard one of those preachers preaching uh, you know the vision sermon about the church needing a vision and we do uh, but our vision has to come from the word of God and in that sense you know that's that's the vision we need but we go back to the Old Testament and you'll see and. Now, I don't think some people realize this but there was never a continuous uninterrupted flow of divine revelation. Let me repeat that. There never was a continuous uninterrupted flow of revelation from God to man. It came in periods and uh, there there would be a period uh, of light and then there would be uh, uh, an interval of darkness. Uh, where, where there were no revelations coming from the prophets. 1 Samuel 3, 1, this is in the days of Eli. I talked about Eli in a message the other day. And, and it says, The word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision Somebody says, well, boy, that that means the word of God was sweet, precious, the way we use it today. That word precious, you go back to 1611 English even, that word precious means rare. And what he's saying here is in the days of Eli, and you remember what the problem was, of course, that he failed to discipline his kids, and as a result of that, it brought God's judgment upon them. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no open vision. And so there was no, no revelation from God being dispersed to the people. And then, of course, we come to the end of the Old Testament and we have 400 years of silence. You know, somebody in that period of time might have come along and said, you yeah, I, I know, God's dead I don't think there even is a God, you know, uh, because there's no revelations coming from the Lord. And, and all of that teaches us this, folks, and that's the fact that it doesn't pay to trifle with God. When He speaks, He's serious, and He expects us to listen. He expects us to obey His commands, follow His guidance, claim His promise, heed His warnings. And you go back to especially in the book of Judges, And there we find again and again. It it, it cycles over and over again. You know, there would be judgment upon the people as a result of their sinfulness. And finally, finally they would come to their senses and they would repent of their sins. And God would give them a judge, give them someone to deliver them from their bondage. And so now they have the blessings of the Lord and then in no time they would revert right back to to those same old ways. And so that's what we're talking about. There being no no open, no vision from the Lord. No word of God, you know. And, and the worst thing, as I said, that can happen is, is for God to withhold His word from us. And there's so many verses that relate to this, but, uh, you know, I often think about the way Paul talked about it's going to be in the last days and the fact that, you know, people are not going to hear any longer. They'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and so forth. And uh, I think about what God did with Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. And what happened? God hardened his heart as a result of that. When we refuse to respond to what we know God wants, we endanger ourselves. So that's what he's talking about there. I have no doubt about that. Verse number 19, A servant, a servant will not be corrected by words, for though he understand, he will not answer. Now, here's another reminder of man's self-will. Man is a stubborn creature you know, we're, something about us, we're just determined to do as we please, do whatever whatever we want to do instead of doing what we're told to do. And that's why discipline is so important. And uh, here you'll notice it's a reminder that this matter uh, of obedience extends beyond children. There's so many people that think today, you know, they don't have to they don't have to live under anybody's authority, and they're the ones who generally end up in prison somewhere. Because we all live under some authority. Uh, that's it's got to be that way. And uh, whenever, whenever, whenever a person isn't disciplined enough that they can submit to authority, they're headed for problems and. And notice here, he's talking about servants. He's not talking about children, but he's talking about what we would maybe call employees today. And uh, the fact that, you know, they're employed at a certain company and what have you. So, you know, they have an obligation to obey. They don't make the rules. They are the servant you see. So they don't come in and set the hours that they're going to work. They don't determine the wage. They don't determine what the, they're going to do for the day. But here it's talking about a servant who is stubborn and somebody that refuses to be corrected by words alone. He understands, but notice it says that he will not answer. Well, he doesn't answer in the sense that he refuses to obey. That That's that, that's what he's talking about. So the point is that if words won't work then some other means has to be employed to correct them. Now I don't think Brother Rick or Brother John or somebody else here that you know ha, you have employed I, I, I haven't heard of them spanking their employees lately and might have felt like it but that usually doesn't work very well when somebody's grown but there has to be some discipline as a result of their rebellion. They've got to get the message that, that I can't do as I please. And if, if that attitude pervades the workforce, then eventually, you know, our economy is going to suffer one and and I want to be real careful here because I I understand this is a complicated issue and there are good people on both sides and I don't want to offend anyone but uh I've seen the abuses of labor unions and uh and, and I know that labor unions in some cases have done some good I I can't deny that but uh yeah a lot of times what happens is they pave the way uh, for slackers. That That's just what it amounts to because, you know, well, you can't fire me. You, you know, you can't fire me. I'll take you, you know, I'll take you before the labor board and what have you. And so they have to keep them on the payroll even though they're not doing the job. They're They're afraid to deal with the issue. And any time now, this is true of a child or anybody else. Any time you reward bad behavior, it gets worse. It always you just can't let that happen. And so, if, if you you know if if there's bad behavior on the job, some action has to be taken. It might be you know, a reduction in the wages. and Here, another thing, getting the government so involved in our businesses today that, you know, gone is the day where you could go out here and, and, and rent a building or buy a building and start a business of, you know, whatever kind. It's my business. You know, I've got this product. It might be something you make. It might be something you import or whatever, but you've got a product that people want, and so you put out the shingle. People come and buy stuff. You know, originally that's kind of the way that it worked, either buy or barter for things. And nowadays the government regulations and what have you is, is just totally, at least in my opinion, is totally out of out of order. And uh, eventually we all pay for that. Verse 20. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words, there's no more hope of a fool than of him. There is more hope of a fool than him. Now, we just got through talking about somebody that wouldn't answer. Somebody that wouldn't respond, in other words, to the command. They wouldn't do the will of the employer and what have you. But the stubborn silence, you know, of a slacker on the job but here he's talking about being hasty in speech. And you know that a lot of people that can avoid that first pitfall that fail in the second and I think if we're honest most all of us would have to admit that sometimes we're hasty in our speech. About that we speak before we think, jump to conclusions, you know, uh, or we don't give any consideration to what we're saying. And uh, that's always a dangerous thing. It's real easy in the heat of emotion, especially, to be hasty in speech. And uh, to make matters worse, a lot of people don't think of that as being a serious problem. They're just kind of proud of it that they speak their mind. You know, my answer for them is the Bible says, The fool uttereth all of his mind. You know, we we need to think about what we're saying, not be hasty about it, and um, uh, if we do that, we could spare ourselves a lot of lot of problems, and uh, and uh, that, that's why it's hard. Notice he says, "There's there's more hope of a fool than of him." Boy, that puts you in dangerous territory, doesn't it? More hope of a fool. And I look at it and you wonder, well, how could it be that there's more hope for a fool than it is for somebody like like that? The word fool, the old Hebrew word, means, means stupid. I know people, they hate that word. They just, I've had people, you know, even in a kind of a... Kindly sort of way, I think, trying to rebuke me for using that word "stupid." But the fact of the matter is, there are people that are stupid. It's it's a good word about a real problem, and that's what this word "fool" means. It's all about somebody that's stupid or somebody that is dull. A more sophisticated word, I guess, but. Um, you know, a a, per, a person can a person can be like that and not be totally beyond getting help. And, and I say that because what happens with a fool is a lot of times they'll do things that are so foolish that they'll end up getting hurt. As a result of the pain, then they'll start looking for a remedy for the pain. Remember what what the Lord said in Revelation, He's rebuking the church there, the Laodiceans, and He said, you know, you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He said, it'd be better if you were, you know, cold, uh, cold even than being lukewarm. And some people look at that and scratch their head, well, how could it be better to, for a church to be cold than lukewarm? Wouldn't lukewarm be better than cold? no. Because God's not satisfied with either one of them. The person that is cold, I've often said, if you want to torture me, just get me cold. I mean, I, I hate, I hate cold weather. It, it's torturous to me. When you're cold, what do you do? I get a coat. I put on something. You know, somebody that's just lukewarm, why they're kind of comfortable there, so they, you know, they, they're not going to make any changes. Well, the fool. A fool does something that is stupid, and as a result of that, they get hurt. So there is some hope for a fool, but well, whenever you look at here, the man that's hasty in his words, now this is somebody, in other words, that refuses to consult with other people before he acts. It's somebody that doesn't weigh out the options. It's somebody that doesn't consider the consequences. He's hasty in speech. He uh, just spur of the moment. The emotions are running wild or whatever. It's almost impossible to help somebody that are controlled by their emotions. Yeah, there's just not much you can do about that. Because you can sit down with them and reason everything out and. Uh, Everything seems fine until somebody crosses their path and they lose their cool, you see. And so that's that's what he's saying there. So all of this is simply reminding us of the great need for calm deliberation on our part, uh, for thoughtfulness on our part instead of just speaking our mind with hasty speech. Uh, you know, there have been pastors that have had to leave churches for that very reason, they've got up and, in a fit of anger, uh, they've said some things. Just and I'm talking about things they normally wouldn't say, but they they just lost their temper and said something, and ultimately ended up having to leave the church. Uh, their divorces caused in marriage by this very thing here. Somebody that is hasty in speech that just doesn't really give any serious thought to what they're saying and throw those words out there like arrows and uh, wound and hurt people and ruin their relationship. Well, verse 21, He that delicately, delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become his son at the length. Now, whenever I started studying this, and this was several years ago, And and one of the first things that I did was to go through several commentaries, preachers that that I had confidence in. And I was amazed because here we have these writers writing on every verse here in Proverbs. And I come up to verse 21 and it shows the verse and uh, there's no comment. So I thought, well, you know, I don't know, maybe he got tired at the end of the day and left off. So I go to another commentary and, you know, Doctor Who done it or something. No comment. And so I, you know, I, I started thinking about why in the world don't they want to comment on it? So I started reading the few I could find that did make any comments on it. And my first thought was, you know, I think I'm just going to skip this altogether like they did. I'm not even going to go there, because I'm telling you, you you just can't believe what some people get out of this, and so I'm not going to tell you any of the views of the others that would just cloud the issue. I'm just going to tell you what I believe about it, and I believe it's the opposite of what most of the other writers say. I believe that this is to be interpreted uh, as a success instead of a failure. Notice again exactly what he says: He that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become his son at the length. That word "delicately" here is talking about tender care, and 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 he says eventually, eventually that servant might become a son, and that of course would be through adoption. So that's success. And uh, I have no idea exactly how they get it to be just the opposite of that. Uh, but a good bit of advice here is believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. Don't, don't get them mixed up. Some people are so afraid of having any doubts about things and, and I'm going to tell you sometimes you run up against certain verses in the bible and 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 people are just fret over that stop worrying about it. I mean there are some things you can understand, some things you can't understand, some things you can't understand now that you'll understand later on. you see, so don't don't let what you don't know stop you from enjoying what you do know and and there's plenty plenty here for us to enjoy but but you know i i think he's simply saying that for the master to you know to be kind and gentle with the the servant instead of harsh and cruel eventually that that servant in the field might become a son at his table and so you know, it's always better in dealing with people to uh, you know, to to use honey instead of vinegar. but So uh, that works everywhere. Verse 22. An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Well, boy, I, I think we all understand this verse, and I think we all know it's true. It doesn't need a lot of, a lot of explanation this is anger in action and, and and let me first say that you know anger is not necessarily wrong when paul and i've again i've heard sermons from preachers saying it's always wrong you never should be angry even try to explain away what paul said in the ephesians you know where he said be angry and sin not they say you know that's not a not prohibiting or not uh, allowing us to be angry well i think it's an imperative myself when he says be ye angry i don't think he's saying if you are angry sin not i think it's imperative that we be angry and i say that because god gets angry you see but the key is that we be angry and sin not the fact of the matter is, anger, there can be a lot of good things come out of anger. It can, you know, it can move us to action. We get angry about something, you know, we'll, we'll do something about it, you know, and instead of just sitting back and uh, mad. Mothers against drunk drivers, you know. They they got angry. They got fed up with it, and finally they said, we're going to do something about it. and And so they leaped into action. So anger can be good, but... One of the harmful effects of anger is strife because, you know, so many times that when we get angry, we lose control of ourselves and do things that we shouldn't do, and it creates conflict with other people. There are people that have deep-seated anger in their heart that's been there for decades, years and years and years, and they've never dealt with with that anger it just it's there like those volcanoes in Hawaii or Guatemala you know wherever Uh, it's just like those volcanoes it's there below the surface and it's just building up and building up until finally something sets them off and they explode and so that you know that kind of anger that kind of anger has to be dealt with because it's going to it's going to create quarrelling among people and strife and divisions. It's like Brock talking about that church, and I don't know what all's going on there, but I bet I can be safe and saying I will bet you somebody's mad about something, you know, and that's what anger does. It 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 is a destructive force. But then notice he doesn't stop there. He said, "A furious man aboundeth in transgression." That word furious speaks about passion. You know, it's the kind of passion that causes people to give way to, to violent fits of anger. You know, it's anger really out of control. And, and again, people, when they get angry, they'll do things that ordinarily they would never do. The, some of the nicest people you'd ever meet, they, oh, my, they just do anything for you. they do a favor or whatever. But boy, when they get angry, all of a sudden, they lose control, and and as he says here, they abound in transgression, and, and what happens is they end up doing things that they're going to regret later on, but the damage is done. There's no way to go back and undo what you did, you see, so... Uh, Entire books have been written about anger and how we can control our anger. Well, the only way we can is with the Lord's help, that's for sure. Let me, let me go through one more verse tonight. Verse number 23, a man's pride. and Boy, here's another one of those subjects that we come across over and over sure. and over because it's such a common problem. A man's pride shall bring him low. But honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So here in the first part of this, it's talking about pride leading to a person's downfall. And it's just one of many verses. And they, it's amazing the people that are so uh, deceived about their self-importance. They're consumed with their self Interest, And that's how we get all these catchphrases today like self-esteem and self-love and self-fulfillment and what have you. And those are the buzzwords that people use today. And we live in a day where pride is almost touted as a virtue. How we ought to be pride, this pride and that pride and so forth. Well, the fact of the matter is pride is a sin because we don't have anything to be proud about absolutely nothing nothing now I know we sometimes use that word like you know our kids playing ball and he got you know he got three or four hits and we say I'm so proud of you we we know what that means that's not what we're talking about we're talking about that kind of pride that makes us think we're better than what we are and kind of like the story I've told so many times I don't know whether I mentioned it again, but about the young woman, you know, went to her pastor and and she said, "Pastor, I've got this besetting sin." And she said, "I want your help." She said, "I come to church every Sunday." And she said, "I can't help but just thinking, you know, I must, I must be the prettiest woman in the church." And so the pastor just started laughing out loud, and you know, and, and and she's turning there and she's turning red in the face and what have you, and, and stuttering around. And, and he said, well, let me explain. He said, Mary, he said, don't worry about it. In your case, it's not a sin. It's just a horrible mistake. <laughs> and, and a lot of people make that horrible mistake whenever they lift it up with pride. So, you know, the way for the Christian, uh, the, the way up is down. You know, when we humble ourselves, the Lord lifts us up. And uh, I think about Daniel, and I think about Joseph. What, what heroes those men were. Neither one of those men, in their rise to prominence, neither one of them did so by self-effort. They were honored as a result of the fact that they had an attitude of humility Look, this is why revival starts with humility. Remember what the Bible says? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. You see, the very first step in getting revival is for us to humble ourselves before the Lord. That gets God's attention. So, God, help us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, <clears throat> but to be mindful. And we don't deserve anything, and everything we have is a result of God's grace. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Lord willing, next week we'll pick up in the next verse. Any comments, Brother John? You know, you talked a while ago about being encouraged and discouraged and all that. You know, I guess the best thing we can always remember is none of us gets the increase. God Gets the what? It's the increase. That's exactly right where we get ourselves in a big old knot when we start trying to get the increase. Yeah, that's right. Because we've done our job when we've gotten in the Word and done what God told us. the mm-hmm. Word and leave it alone. That's a good point. And what, what John's talking about goes right back to what happened. And I, I I know when it happened. It was shortly after I started preaching. And we we had several churches that... Uh, and the main one at that time was in Garland Texas and later moved up to Indiana but anyway in in, in depending on programs and stuff entertainment and stuff like that to get people to church I, I churches that have and you'd see these circulars you, you know zulu the clown and bozo the gorilla or maybe i got that backwards I, but all of that nonsense going on all of the time. And look, our job is to preach and to pray and to witness and what have you and leave it there, you know. And thank you, John, for that. All right, anybody else before we go? Y'all want Tim to lead us in a song? My voice is about gone. He'll have to. Let's all stand. Tim, lead us in a chorus.